Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, how are you all doing today? No, really, how are you all doing? Because when people ask me that now, it's, it's never been more complicated to answer in my whole life. People say, how are you doing? And I pause and I hesitate and all these thoughts go through my mind like, should I tell you the truth or should I answer it contextually? Like, how am I doing based on all the stuff that's going on right now? It's a complicated uh, question to answer. How are you all doing? Well, I hope you all are well, and I want to thank you for joining us for another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we want to welcome you today. It's so awesome to be able to talk to you again today. I saw a post on social media the other day. They, they said, what one word best describes your emotional state? And then in parentheses, it said, no cuss words. And I thought that was kind of funny uh, because obviously, apparently, they thought the immediate answer for everybody was going to be some cuss word or something. Uh, and, and so, you know, what would your answer uh, be to that question? If there would be one word to summarize your emotional state with no cuss words, what would that word be? Over the last couple of weeks, I have asked some people the question, if there was one word that would describe what you're feeling right now, what is it? One guy, he just looked at me and he said he was numb. I'm just numb, you know? One person said they were angry. One said they were irritated. A couple of people said they were anxious or, or afraid. I think for me, if, if there would be one word to summarize my emotional state right now, it would probably just be the word unsettled. Everything feels unsettling to me, right? Even like the small things, like it used to be easy to go up and greet somebody. Now I don't even know what to, to do for you guys. But, but I'm like, you know, trying to measure things out. Like, what, what are you? Are you a six-footer strict person? Or do you forget all of that and you're coming in for a hug? Or, you know, I don't know how to approach you with, you know, do we do knuckle bump or do we elbow bump or do we shake hands? Do I need a mask? Do I not need a mask? It's, it's, it's all awkward, right? And then there's the big things. Uh, the economic uncertainty and the racial tension and the political division and everybody's so emotional. So what I thought we would do over the next few weeks is, is dive into the theme of emotions. But not just talk about emotions, but talk about them from a gospel-centered perspective. God has given us emotions, and so I want to look at the emotions of Jesus, what he endured, what he felt, and let his emotions help center our emotions so, so that we're not just reacting, but we're responding with gospel-centered emotion, all right? So today, uh, to do a little uh, research into the emotions of Jesus, uh, uh, one article I read said that Jesus in the four gospels actually displayed 39 different emotions. 39 emotions. I, I didn't even know for years that there is even such thing as a total of 39 different emotions until my kids became teenagers, and then I could see all 39 in a 30-second conversation, if you know what I mean, right? Well, Jesus was God in the flesh. He was God, and yet he was a human being, and he expressed and he felt very real emotions. For example, whenever Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he saw all these people that he loved, that, that God loved, and they were disconnected from God, he, he felt this deep, sincere emotion of grief. 
They're missing out on the very thing that God wants for them. Uh, there were religious leaders that, that cared more about the rules and the law more than the people. He felt this righteous anger towards the hypocrisy and the sin and the lack of love. And when 72 followers came back and were talking about how God used them to make a difference, he felt this overwhelming sense of being overjoyed at the faithfulness of God through his people. When his friend Lazarus died, even though he knew he had the power to raise Lazarus from the dead, Jesus felt the emotion of just profound sadness and wept over the death of his close friend. And before going to the cross in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew what was about to come, and he felt lonely. He had some anxiety. He felt overwhelmed knowing the pain, what, what was about to come. So what I want to do today is to start our series on emotions. I want to look at one of the emotions of, of Jesus, what he feels towards us, and, and I believe this will help us to express the emotion towards others. And so we're going to look in Luke's gospel today. We'll be in Luke chapter 7 specifically. And to kind of give you just a quick context, basically Jesus had just finished preaching his famous message known as the Sermon on the Mount. And that's where we're at, okay? Luke 7, 11 through 16. Here's what it says. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was, was coming out as he approached the, the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. So let's, let's visualize this if, if we can. So Jesus is walking up, and there's this funeral procession. And, and it would be a lot different than ours today, right? There, there would no, be no police officers with bright lights and such directing traffic and all these things. What there would have been is, is mourners, and some of them might have been professional mourners, believe it or not. It wasn't uncommon to pay people to go, and they would take flutes and tambourines, and they would walk down the streets, and they would play the instruments, and they would wail in sadness, representing the grief uh, of this type of loss. And so Jesus walks up on this very emotional, most likely very loud scene, and there's some things we know and a lot of things we don't know. For example, we don't know about this poor, grieving single mom. We don't know how old she is. Uh, she might have been 23. She might have been 30 in her late 30s. You know, uh, We don't know about how her husband died. Was it an accident? Did, did he have some kind of sickness? We, we don't know. We don't know how old the boy was. Was he a three-year-old? Was he a 12-year-old? We, we really don't know. What we do know is most likely the, the little boy had died the day before. And the reason we know this is because back in this time in history, they didn't have you know, formaldehyde and the same types of quality embalming ingredients that we would have today. And because of the climate, whenever a, a person died, the, the burial would happen very, very quickly, almost always the next day. So, so if you can imagine, you, you've got this young mom who's, who's already lost her husband, the, this boy's father, and now she's a widow and she loses her only son. Emotional and overwhelmed with grief, grief at, at her deepest moment of pain, Jesus saw her. What's really interesting is there, there's over 40 references in the Gospels that, that we are told that Jesus saw someone, which, which is funny to me because you would think he saw everybody, right? 
right? I mean, he's, he ran into hundreds and thousands of people. You would think he saw everybody, unless he was praying, I, I assume. But, but actually, if you think about this, he, he teaches us uh, to, to watch and pray. That's what we should do, right? And so if you're, by the way, if you're driving, please watch and pray. Don't, don't close your eyes and pray. But here's the point. Here's, the, the, here's a, a point of what he's, the author is trying to say. He saw a lot of people, okay? But he didn't just see, he, he noticed. Have you noticed there's a difference between looking and seeing? You see, I'm a guy, I can look and just not see, right? I don't always notice, which is, is really difficult for me because I'm married to Jen who notices everything, which is not a bad thing because it's great that she notices a lot of things. You know, I've trained myself to notice. Like one time I, I saw her, but I didn't notice she had her hair dyed and her hair cut. And, and so just a little marriage tip to all you, you husbands out there, what you, what you just say is like two or three times a week is you just say, wow, did you do something to your hair? Hey, <laughs> you, you just say that it's just a good thing. Wow. You, you know, your hair looks great. Did you do something to it? It will help your marriage out. I'm just, just saying that. Okay. Just say that two or three times a week, just to get yourself through it. Okay. Anyway, be, because she probably notices everything. That's the reason why you want to do it. Okay. Now I could literally come over to somebody's house. And when we left, her and I left, she, she, she'd be like, did you notice the wallpaper? It was amazing. And I'm like, they had walls? You know, that, that's how cognitive I am. I, I didn't even notice that, okay? And then weddings are the worst. I had no idea where, where there were like 430 million things to notice at a wedding, right? <laughs> There's all kinds of things. I, I noticed one thing, food or no food. That's, that's me, right? Food or no food, I, I'll notice that. Uh, so anyway, she'll say, did you notice the flowers? No, not really. Did, did you notice the way the mom looked at the bride? And I'm like, no, not really. Did you notice the cake? Yes, I noticed the cake. That's food. I noticed that, okay? Did you see the centerpieces? No, no, no. You know, anyway, she goes on, you know. But Jesus looks on, and he doesn't just see her, but he sees her, right? He saw her. He noticed her. She was a single mom, a, a widow who lost her husband, and now she loses her only son. And in the middle of this chaos, Jesus looks at her. The Lord saw her. What emotion did Jesus feel when he saw someone in deep and profound pain? What Jesus felt is the very same thing that he feels whenever you're hurting. When he felt for her was the very same thing that he feels for you when, when you're afraid, when your marriage is struggling, when, when you're trying to pay your bills and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills. Whenever you're praying and praying and praying for your, for your child who's making some crazy decisions and you're, you're aching and hoping, believing your child will be okay, Jesus feels the very same thing for you when you're hurting as he did for this woman who was in pain. When the Lord saw her, Scripture says his heart overflowed with compassion, right? There wasn't enough room in his heart for all the compassion that he felt. His heart overflowed with compassion. The root Greek word that is translated as compassion is really a cool word. Um, the word is splagna, okay? It's S-P-L-A-G-N-A. -A. Uh, I like the word a lot because it sounds like if you ever stuck your finger down your throat and you kind of <laughs> splagna it everywhere, right? That's what it sounds like. And the truth is that's very much what it's like because this word, it means to feel from the guts or from the intestines, Splagna, to feel from the guts or from the intestines. There is no stronger word in the Greek language to represent the depth of, of compassion, feeling for someone else from the bowels. I read one article about this word, and the, and the author said, imagine driving up on a, on a car wreck. 
And truly, you've probably had this at some point, and, and you've had this sinking feeling. You're like, oh, oh, I hope they're okay, right? I hope, I hope they're really okay. And then you notice maybe two people that are injured by the side of the road, and the first responders are trying to attend to them, and you're like, oh, gosh. You know, oh, God, please, please, I hope they're going to live. I hope they're going to live. And you feel for them. And then, and then you recognize the car, and you know the two people, and then they are the two people that you love, and that's, that's Splagna. It's the depths of, it's hurting from the guts, from the inside. The Lord saw her pain. He noticed, he felt it in his bowels, and he cared. And I don't know who needs to hear this today, but the Lord our God knows what you're going through. And he cares about you more than you can imagine. He sees your pain. He hears the cries of your heart. He knows when you feel desperate. He knows when you can't catch a breath, when your heart rate pounds so fast and, and you feel so much anxiety that you can barely even find your next breath. The Lord sees you. He knows that pain. And when you're praying for your marriage, when you don't know when you're going to find your next job, when you feel anxious, when you feel frustrated, when you feel afraid, the Lord sees you. He notices and he cares. Jesus sees this grieving single mom. He hurts with her. He grieves for her. And then he says to her, don't cry. And he walks over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearer stopped because he touched the coffin. What's really interesting is the coffin wouldn't be anything like the coffins that we see today. These, these coffins would generally be a flat piece of wood on some wheels, kind of like a buggy. And they put the body on top of the coffin and the body would almost always be exposed. And so when Jesus goes up and he touched the coffin, this was shocking. This was completely scandalous. This was unheard of. People would gasp everywhere, right? Because the Pharisees, they had all these religious laws and rules and the most of the rules were all concerned with the outside. Like what their purpose was, here's the show I want you to see. Here's, here's the image. That, that's all there is. I want to portray something. I might not be on the inside, but I'm going to show you outwardly that I'm incredibly religious. Okay, That's what they're trying to do because they had 613 of these very distinct, very strict laws, one of which was you don't touch a dead body or you don't touch anything that touched a dead body because if you touched a dead body or anything touches that dead body and you touch what touches the dead body, you become unclean. You're ceremonially unclean. And Jesus, this prophet, claiming to be the Son of God, touches something to make him spiritually unclean. When Jesus touched the coffin, what he did was he crossed a line. And I love this about Jesus. Jesus is a line crosser. He's a rule breaker. Every time religion would draw a line, Jesus would cross that line. Why? Because he loves crossing lines. Whatever line you might feel right now, maybe it's keeping God at a distance. You need to understand he crosses lines for those that he loves. Jesus is a line crosser. He's a rule breaker. What religion does is distorted religion I'm talking about, the legalism, that's all about rules and not about love. What it, what it does is it draws lines to keep people out. The tragedy is that the, that's the very thing that has kept some of you or someone you love from the things of God. And I don't want to, you, you're saying, I don't want to go to church because everybody's legalistic or a hypocrite, and, and that's what religion wrongly does. With good intentions, it, it draws lines. And if that's the part of the church that bothers you, it bothers Jesus too. Jesus didn't want any line, any external rule to keep people from experiencing him, his love, his, his grace, his power. And that's why, if, if, I would love for you to be able to write this down if you have an opportunity, but this is why we don't draw lines to keep people out. Okay, We as a church should not be drawing lines to keep people out. We should 
be crossing lines to bring people in. Okay, let me say that again. We as a church don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in because we believe people need the grace of Jesus. So ignoring these, the, the religious policies, Jesus touches the coffin, perhaps even touches this boy. No boundaries, no rules, no laws can keep Jesus from expressing the depth of the compassion that he feels for those who are hurting. Jesus touches the boy. And imagine the crowd gasp. Oh, it's scandalous. How can he do this? Oh. But more incredibly, the boy gasps. Oh. And he took a breath and he started talking. We should be giving God some praise right now because whatever feels dead in your life right now, with one touch of Jesus, it can come back to life. Somebody here listening, that's what you need today. You need one touch, just one touch, just one touch from the author of life. The giver of life brings dead things back to life. Just one touch, just one moment, just one word, just one sense that not only is he with you, but he cares. What did it take to completely alter this boy and his grieving mom? Just one touch. My prayer today is somebody listening today or somebody who, who is just overwhelmed, that there would be one moment, one word, one prayer, one sense of the goodness and the grace of God crossing whatever barrier that you feel has separated you and know that our God crosses lines to show his love. Just one touch. The Lord saw her, he cared, and he noticed. Just one and it's almost impossible to describe what this did for the grieving widow because moments before, she had nothing. Not only did she lose this, those she loved, but she couldn't even support herself. You see, in this culture, if you didn't have a husband or you didn't have a son, those were your means of support. And as crazy as that sounds, women just weren't allowed, and it didn't have the ability to create any kinds of means to even feed themselves. So she would have had to have done two different things. One is she would have had to become a, a beggar, dependent on other people for the rest of her life, or the other is much worse, she would have to use her body, sell her body, and that would be unthinkable. And she would have to do these things to just have something to eat. So Jesus touches this boy, he, he comes back to life, and, and Jesus carries this boy to the single mom, and not only does he give her son back, but he gives her hope back. It's my prayer today that some, for somebody who feels anxious and somebody who feels afraid and somebody who feels bitter and, and irritated and, and agitated and always on guard, or, or for someone who even feels unsettled like me, that with just one touch, God would give you your hope back. You know, I don't have the words to tell you how much I love my audience. You know, this is part of my church as well, not just locally here in Bellevue, but, but you folks that are, that are listening to the podcast on a weekly basis, uh, you are my church family as well, and, and I love you guys. And we're all, you know, making the best of this time. But what I know right now is there's some of you that are, that are listening, and, and you want to, you know, go back to your church or come back to our church, and, but you're just not quite sure yet. Some of you can't, I would get that, and some, some, of, some people forgot us, you know? So I want to tell you, I, I love this church. I love the presence of God so much that there's something simple about it, and it's a complicated time. But I grieve knowing how disconnected people can be spiritually. 
And what's really interesting is I, I have an undeniable passion to preach. I do. You know, I preach on Sundays and I and I, I basically preach here on this on this podcast and and I haven't wavered in my faith at all. But I've had the most dry season of ministry since this pandemic started. Okay. And for me it goes back all the way to the end of February, beginning of March, and I was at a point of somewhat of exhaustion in the middle of a really complicated season. I never once wavered, but I just couldn't hear from God, right? And I was making decisions about the church that were very complicated, and we were making them kind of on faith. And I was like, well, this feels right, and that feels somewhat wrong, and, you know, it's it's all melting together. And I was just like, you know what, God, just just give me anything, just one word. Like, I just couldn't hear from God. And it didn't make me afraid that he's not there at all, and it didn't make me feel like he didn't love me. I was never in that place, Okay. I just felt like like God was silent, like heaven was silent for a little while. And so over the last few months, I, I've cried out to God nonstop, just, just anything, God. And I was listening to a podcast. Believe it or not, I listen to podcasts as well. And, I, and it wasn't even a Christian podcast. It was a podcast on leadership. And I heard one word. And it wasn't audible, but it was loud enough that it was almost audible. And I just heard the word, Steady. And when I heard it, I'm telling you, I was in my office and I just stopped what I was doing. And I was like, there you go, God. There you go. I can, I can lead with steady faith. I can preach with steady endurance, not knowing exactly what to do and, and how to respond, but I can have a steady confidence in the faithfulness of God. So if you want to know what I've heard from God in the last six months, it's one word. And that's all I needed, just one touch. So if I sound like I'm steady at all, it's because I've experienced the goodness of one word from God. So how are you all doing? If you could describe your emotional state in one word, what would you say? Unsettled? Anxious? Afraid? Desperate? Hopeless? Tense? Irritated? Agitated? Frustrated? Cry out to the God who's moving towards you as we speak. Whatever line you feel separates you from his goodness, know that he's stepping across that line. He's a rule breaker who cares about you. You see, I want you, if you could write this down too, that would be awesome, but put it into memory. But do you know there there is nothing that's going to keep God from pursuing you? Let me say that again. There's nothing that's going to keep God from pursuing you, for reaching out to you, from, from loving you, from showing you his grace and his goodness. He's coming for you to, to show you he notices, he sees, he cares, and he cares about you more than you could ever imagine. You see, when this widow's only son experienced the resurrection of life from the only son of God, there was nothing that was dead that his compassion couldn't bring back to life. Get your hope back. He's coming for you. He cares about you. And he does it with just one touch. Thanks for joining us for another Adventure Podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's message, and I hope you'll join us as we continue our series on emotions over the next three weeks. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast or Chandler Acres Church, or if you'd like to support this ministry, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.